All right. Good to have you here. Look at me. I'm such a radio guy. I'm like two minutes late to a medium, which literally is designed to make time irrelevant. Like you start the video whenever you want, but we do a live show every day at 11, 11.02. My radio heart starts skipping a beat. I was running a, a tad late this morning. Apologies all the way around. I'm so sorry. Oh my God, I got to mute my phone. What a disaster. It is August 9th, Wednesday already, which means we're getting closer to our first Sunday of preseason football. Uh, we got a Shohei Otani pitching matchup against the San Francisco Giants tonight. And uh, that's about as much of a baseball game as I want to watch. I definitely want to watch that game. Uh, it is good to have you here once again. Thank you so very much for joining. And we will let you know that Larry Kruger's coming up in just a little bit. Someone's saying maybe he's a little bit late. He's got to, what, gel his hair up. No, Larry's not a hair gel guy. Not much of one, I don't think. Um, me, I got a haircut. Just fresh haircut. Look at that. Very, very, very happy with the results there. Thank you very much, Teresa. I've been seeing Teresa. Uh, she's the longest platonic relationship I've ever had with a woman. <laughs> I've been going to Teresa for like 18 years here in San Francisco. Um, she does a great job. Uh, look, all I can tell you is that it is good to have you here. And if you are in here already, you're part of the Plus family, are you not? I mean, if you were at our first meetup, Plus Mania at Victory Hall, you're certainly part of the family. I know a lot of you have lives that means you couldn't be there, but you are definitely in this chat room. You're part of the family. If you're one of those people who are sitting there chatting and interacting with our little group, I mean, there's 20, 30 people that come on in and wait for this show to start and start talking to each other like a full-on hour before it even begins. You are part of the family. Well, look, someone in our family was done wrong, and the family will rally around that. Um, our friends at Uncle Boys had a break-in this week, and you know me, I love our sponsors. Thanks so much to Ike and all he does for us. Try those new sandwiches, order Ike's. My man, Charles at Blackened, is serving up delicious whiskey. Make sure you pick up a bottle of Blackened. But I want to talk about Uncle Boys today. I want to start with Uncle Boys because they got broken into. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to say the perpetrator didn't do much damage, didn't take too much. But again, this is a small homegrown business. You don't have to take too much for that impact to be felt. So here's what I want any one of you who is in that neighborhood to do today. Stop on by Uncle Boys and get lunch there. Do it today. Get lunch at Uncle Boy's today. They are in the inner Richmond on Balboa and 4th, and somebody takes a shot at my family member. We circle the wagons here. We circle the wagons. So you go ahead. You get yourself to Uncle Boy's. I'm not asking you. I'm, I'm telling you, get to Uncle Boy's, get a burger, get the onion rings, get the lumpia, give them your business. They're dealing with a break-in from this week, and that totally stinks. Now, they got the guy a little bit on camera, but how good of a picture they've got of someone who kind of covered their face. I don't know if, you know, they, they, they never get the guy who did it, right? What's the line in Pulp Fiction where Travolta is talking about the, the guy keying his car and he's like, you know, it would have been worth him doing it just to catch him. Here's what I love about Uncle Boys. Uh, as pissed off as they are about this whole thing, uh, he's like, I don't even want the money back. I just want to box this guy. He can keep the money. 
which is a very uncle boy thing to say. Um, anyways, take care of me by taking care of our sponsors and specifically take care of our sponsor, uncle boy today, this week, if you can give them your business, please do so. We circle the wagons around family here. We circle the wagons around family. We never forget who we were, where we started, who we started with. Can't forget anyone. Um, so take care of my friends and uncle boys this week. If you can, if you're in the city, you're in the inner Richmond, go to uncle boys. And of course, eat at Ike's and drink black and whiskey as much as you can without getting trouble. Uh, again, Larry Kruger will be joining me here in just a moment or two. He's got some things to clarify and wrap up before we get underway. Um, let me give you a little bit of an update of how things are going here. It's a Wednesday. Um, the podcast, you know, we, we are so focused on, on the YouTube channel that I don't tell you much about the podcast and how insanely well it is growing. Uh, today, by the way, is our 90th uh, live Damon Bruce show here on YouTube. And we are 14 subscribers away from 6,900, 69, baby, 6,900 subscribers and another 14. So thank you also very much for being a part of this, for watching today. If you're not subscribing, you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, please. Every time I feel that, uh, every time I say that, I feel like I die a little inside, but it's, it's what I have to say now. It's, it's part of the rules. So if you can go ahead and uh, subscribe, I certainly would appreciate that. But boy, we got an awful lot of people listening to the podcast. We have uh, just over 100 podcast offerings because I'm only counting the live shows that we sit down and do at 11 o'clock when I'm counting my 90s. Those don't include the the home and homes uh, that Larry and I have done. That Those haven't included some of the interviews that I've done. This is just this live show that you're watching right now. We've done 90 of them. And it is, you know, without a doubt, the flagship of the Plus. And we've done well with it. Well, um, the podcast... In about 100 offerings, has just surpassed 60,000 downloads. That means an awful lot. I mean, that's 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 really good growth for the beginning of a podcast. 60,000 downloads. Now, you know, you go over and you look at what the the big boy podcasts are doing. They get that in a in a single episode. You know, they're they're crushing it with a pardon my take and some really big podcasts. They look at 60,000 over a few months and they'll say, ha 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 ha. Well, to us, it's where we're starting. It's where we're growing, and uh, it's going really, really well. So thank you so much for uh, being such a, a, a wonderful audience. I really mean it. And I wanted to start with a little family message today. Take care of Uncle Boys. You've certainly been taking care of me. You're showing up. You're watching. You're subscribing. You're listening. You're downloading the podcast. And I thank you so very much. And because of that, the show is starting to garner you know, more and more attention. And I'll tell you... Come this Sunday, I will be announcing a new sponsor for a little something we're going to be calling Post Game and Damon because after every single 49ers game, Post Game and Damon returns this fall here to the Bay Area. We'll be going live right around that two-minute warning in games that look like they're just ticking out the clock when I got to pay attention. We'll go live as soon as that uh, countdown clock hits zeros. We are going to have ourselves an awful lot of fun and wait until you see, like, watch this space. It's about to blow up. Um, 
we will be officially, formally announcing the new sponsor, which has nothing to do really with this show. It's just going to be the sponsor of the post-game show, and we only have one sponsor for the post-game show. We'll tell you who it is on Sunday, and I will tell you who it is on Sunday from the field at Allegiant Stadium because your boy, again, I don't cover practice. I'll go down to training camp. I'll shake a few hands. I'll kiss a few babies. I'll do it once or twice. But after that, just get me the hell out of here. And I normally don't like covering preseason either. I certainly would never go to a preseason game at Levi Stadium. Ugh. But I'm excited to go to Las Vegas for a little weekend getaway for your boy. And um, it's going to be my first trip inside of Allegiant Stadium. I can't wait to see that thing in person. I'm really, really excited to see it. Uh, I'll probably end up telling you more about the stadium because I'm not sitting in the press box. I'm getting some VIP treatment from the man who is behind the new sponsor that we are going to be announcing from the field on Sunday. So we're really looking forward to that. Keep an eye on everything and uh, much more is coming your way here on the Plus. I can promise you that football season is going to be absolutely awesome. Awesome, awesome. So uh, as we go through the week, I can tell you we can talk more and more about Vegas. Not that I, I'm a Vegas veteran. I don't need an awful lot of tips, but I always like something new. It's been about a year since I've really partied on the Strip, so if there's something new there that I need to know, even though this is a business trip, it's a Las Vegas business trip, which is, you know, the best kind of business trip there is. Um Man, you know, before we get to Larry, I guess I'll do the show backwards today and get to all the stuff that I was going to get to after we spoke with Larry. He'll be coming up in just a minute here, Krug joining us on the Plus. But leave it to Chip Kelly, former San Francisco 49ers head coach. Didn't work out very well for, for Chip. But uh, Chip Kelly had an awesome idea which unfortunately was so far down the road of conference realignment, we're not going to see. But basically, Chip Kelly said um, on a podcast called The Bald-Faced Truth, you know, Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference for everything else. Why aren't we all independent in football? You take the 64 teams in the Power Five, you make that one division. You take the 64 teams from the Group of Five, you make that another division. We play for a championship, and they play for a championship, and no one else gets affected. This wouldn't affect everyone else gets to stay in their old-fashioned conferences where geographical alignment means more than dollars coming in because dollars aren't coming in because these aren't revenue sports, and it's about can your grandma try travel to watch you play leave it to chip kelly for coming up with an idea that makes an awful lot of sense leave it to chip we play football once a week travel's not a big guy big deal for football but it's a big deal for other sports he's right about that by the way thanks to roxy bernstein for joining me just yesterday to talk about cal and conference realignment he was fantastic uh when it comes to fantastic guests though my man larry krueger he fits that bill every single time i look up larry it's been a while since you and i have done something together and uh thanks so much for joining me today how are you pal hey i'm doing great thanks for having me sorry i'm a little few minutes behind here all right, you sound like you're uh, far away. We didn't, we're, we weren't wait, able to wait, test wait. the audio. So, so can yeah. you turn, yes. yeah, wait, hold on. Checking my turn your mic up? You sound far away. There we go. Hey. There you are. <laughs> we got you now, baby. How you doing, man? Good, man. Doing great. Um, 
I've been grinding, absolutely grinding every single day of camp, a lot of sun, a lot of back and forth, a lot of videos, a lot of channel growth, but um, I'm not going to Las Vegas, so I'm getting a couple days off and um, feeling good. Got a bunch of things I want to get done uh, on other fronts for the channel, so a day off the field or two is, is okay. Niners off today, on the field tomorrow and Friday, and then of course Sunday. I am going to Las Vegas. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be announcing yeah. a new sponsor for the uh, post wow. and Damon that I'll be doing uh, live all fall long after every single 49er game. The plus is where people are going to want to be. I know you're going to be at the stadium, Larry. Hopefully you can join the chat, you know, for a, a little while. I know you're going to have a lot of post game responsibilities. You have been entrenched with the 49ers all training camp long. And because of that, again, the attention on your channel has just been phenomenal. Congratulations. Over 20,000 subscribers now. Yeah. Uh, it's happened in, you know, whatever we started this, I think in March of 2022, um, tried, you, you know, had a goal, got to about 10,000, 12,000 at the end of the football season. Somebody said, Hey, can you get to 20 by training camp? That was our goal. The soft season, um, as you know, it is a grind. It's a little bit of a slog and, uh, but we got there with about four or five days to spare. And now we're on the assault towards 25. We're closing in on 22,000 right now. Not proud of you, brother. I really am. You certainly deserve it. You've done a great job. And again, you are a hardworking man. And that's like, you know, why I wanted to have you on here because you've got to have someone who's got trained eyes on training camp and understands what's happening on a training camp practice field more than someone who's just looking to give breathless reaction to every single completion or incompletion or quarterback group and play. Like there are some folks who are just every single day. It seems like it's their first time looking at a football practice. They get so over the top reactive to what they'd seen. So um, let's start with what I think is the single biggest development at training camp and it's got nothing to do with a single player who is there it has everything to do with the most important player who's not there larry at what point does the nick bosa holdout turn from a clerical issue into a football issue for the 49ers um i would say somewhere between the 20th and the end of the month so that's 11 days from now um I predicted at the beginning of camp that the Niners wouldn't sign him and I didn't want to see him signed at least until August 15th, just because I don't, I didn't want him to participate in these practices tomorrow. And also they don't have the same quality of defensive end depth as they've had in the past. Well, sign him I, and sit him though. I mean, why, why not? Well, just but who does that? I mean, there's no examples of that for the most part. I mean, I, some teams do, I guess McVay has done it. But then it's I, I personally just don't think I mean look, they they know what the they know what kind of player he is. They know it's gonna be a record setting deal. And it's just a matter of is it thirty-three years, at thirty-five a year? I don't believe this is all about that. I really believe if they felt like they wanted him out there, I just think they that he would be out there. I like he was asked about this in the spring, right? He said, uh, you know, Nick, uh, what do you think you'll get in the contract and when he was at the in the auditorium? And he's like, in a typical Nick Bosa fashion, he goes, he thought for a while, and he goes, I think I'll get what I deserve. And that was all he said. And he said it so calmly. Like, in other words, I know what I'm getting. And I'm not going to and, – and yet, I really believe that he's not there because they don't have Ebukam, Amenehu, and Willis, and they don't right. want to risk him. 
He's going to be the highest paid defensive player in the history of the NFL when he signs this deal, either total guarantee, total value, annual average value. I know that there's different ways to measure it, which is just to me, I don't understand why it's taking so long to find the biggest number on the books, put a cherry on top of that and say, here's your deal, Nick. I, as I said, I think this is not really about that. I think this is about minimizing injury exposure for the one play. I mean, Nick Bosa, not Brock Purdy, not Trent Williams, not um, George Kittle. Nick Bosa is the number one guy in the 49er team that they can't lose if they want to win the Super Bowl. He's what di- drives everything up front. Their whole defense is predicated on having a big push up front. And then there's no replacement for Nick. So, I mean, literally, I was at practice the other day, and I was looking at the ones, and it was Drake Jackson, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, and Alex Barrett. Alex Barrett was on the practice squad last year. He's running with the ones. Taco Charlton got off a plane 72 hours ago. He's getting, uh, you know, first-team reps. They're miraculously thin at defensive end, and... I think once they sign Bosa, I think they'll add to that mix as well. I think you'll that'll be a spot where they'll add at the cut down. I still think more players are coming there because they're incredibly thin there. And I asked Kasarik directly, I said, are you going to play your ones? You got an awesome ones, Hargrave and Armstead and Bosa and Jackson. Are you going to play the ones more reps than you did in the past? He said, nope. So that means he's going to rotate guys through. And the Menehue-Willis-Ebukam trio averaged 91 snaps per game in the Niners three playoff games. So, you know, just put it this way, 1,331 snaps walked out the door from the regular season, like 750 walked in. So they're down a bunch of snaps and some serious quality on the defensive end spot. And nobody's talking about it because Hargrave is the big shiny object and nobody cares about talking about depth. But as you well know, Damon, O-line backups may not see the field. D-line backups most definitely do. So is there any talk about Eric Armstead getting more reps at D end? I know that they like him inside a D tackle, but that is filled by Hargrave. So where does he factor into the depth chart? Well, he was asked about that just the other day after practice. And he said, I'm a defensive tackle. You know, he's a defensive tackle. So he is, uh, but you're right. They do have um, depth at the defensive tackle spot and they could try to play a defensive tackle at defensive end. I don't think it would be Eric Armstead. Believe it or not, I really believe this now. I, I don't. We'll see how it goes. But Spencer Wagey, and it is pronounced Wagey, uh, who's been really, really good, I think, in the Niner camp, though he has been on the ground a little bit more than I, than I like, and being on the ground for a defensive lineman is death. But um, he was a college defensive end, and I, I think there's a chance – that they'll minimize Drake Jackson's snaps a little bit by playing Wagey opposite Bosa on first and second down against the run and then bring Jackson, Austin Bryant, you know, Taco, um, Cleveland Farrell and others um, to, uh, you know, to on third downs and in the sub package. That's just my guess because Wagey's so good. I was going to wait till later on, but you just said his name, Clean Farrell. What's going on with him? How's he looking? Is there an NFL career to be salvaged? I'm not the biggest Cleveland Farrell guy. Okay, so I, I like him as far as I like the acquisition as far as depth, but I like him further down the depth chart. He doesn't have explosive traits. It's amazing that Mike Mayock took this guy fourth overall 
um, because he just doesn't have explosive traits. He can, he's good against the run. He's, he's really strong at holding his gap, but that's not what this defense is about. This defense for the defensive ends is about burn the edge, get in the backfield, penetrate, get after the quarterback. And I just see a very ordinary rusher with ordinary speed and ordinary explosiveness. So I I'll be interested to see. I, to me, Bosa, Hargrave, Armstead, Drake, those are your ones. The, the D-line will include in some capacity Taco, um, Kevin Givens, Javon Kinlaw, um, and then Austin Bryant, those three. So there you got seven there. Those three last jobs, I think one will go to Taco Charlton, and then the, the last two, I don't know. And I, I think there's a chance that they could go outside for a trade candidate, a free agent candidate. you got to remember there's a lot of – defensive end uh, talent that's still out there right now or that's rumored to be available from Jadeveon Clowney to Melvin Ingram to Jason Pierre-Paul to Robert Quinn to Carlos Dunlap in the free agent market. Uh, on the trade front, Clavon Chason with Jacksonville, uh, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jerry Hughes, Boogie Basham. They're all available, maybe even Dorrance Armstrong from Dallas. There's some guys, and there'll be some good young defensive ends probably cut at the cut down on the 29th, you may see them go for somebody's cut in another camp that they really, really liked. So that's, I think that, I think it's safe to say the back end of the Niner D line is fluid. Kinlaw got a role to play on the team this year, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. He looks good, Damon. He's, he, he's, um, he's not wearing a knee brace and he's looking explosive. He's stacking days. He's not taking days off. He's not even wearing a knee sleeve. Uh, he's winning a lot of the one on ones that they do in the one-on-one period with against the offensive linemen, either by bull rushing. He's a little bit quicker than the past. I'm not saying he's going to be an, a pro bowler, but he'll be in the rotation at least to start the year for sure. Uh, the topic that everyone's obsessed with, obviously the topic of quarterback, which to me is a lot more settled than a lot of people want to present it. it Brock, clearly the number one. Is there anything fuzzy about that in your eyes? No, no, he's, right. he's the number one. I mean, he's, He's, you know, he he's played the best. Um, I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people didn't think was even going to play until week six, and he's he's playing well in camp. Now, people get overly tied to training camp stats, um, and the Niners at different times offensively. You know, there have been days, Damon, where the offense has won against the defense, but then there's been days where the defense has won against the offense. To me, that's just a sign of a really good, well-balanced football team but when the defense beats the offense people are like they don't have any quarterbacks and when the offense beats the defense it's like what's wrong with this defense <laughs> so you know what i mean so it's it's uh it's like one of those when I, I did a show on mad dog radio years ago we had a sports update guy and i would listen to his his updates and he's doing nba scores all throughout the season nobody ever beat anybody everybody always lost the Celtics lose to the uh, Sixers. The Warriors fall to the Grizzlies. The Lakers lose to the Clippers. I'm like, hey, Peter, uh, is there a chance that maybe the Clippers beat the Lakers? Uh, is it possible the Warriors actually beat the Suns? Or, you know, it's like, what do you mean? I'm like, everybody lost in your update. It's like the misery update. I go, how about who, the people who won? One of those teams won. You know, so there's, there's a fascination with the negative. Um, but, yeah, I think Brock Purdy has looked pretty good. He's thrown some picks. Um, which are never good, but like, you know, you, ha you have to be, you know, you know, from watching NFL football, there's a good pick and a bad pick that, you know, or and there's not a good pick, but there's a pick that you can stomach and just shrug at. And then there's a pick that's like, get that guy off the field. Right. 
Um, Not all interceptions are created equal. Right. I mean, give you an example. He threw one the other day. He got blitzed. It was a fourth down situation. He's rolling to his right. He's got a blitzer in his face. He puts it up. It actually hits the receiver on the hands. It pops into the air because Greenlaw arrived right at the same time. And Gibson, 12 yards down the field, um, you know, picked it out of the air and ran it back for a touchdown. And people are like, oh, it, was a, it was a pick six. I'm like, right. okay. And then later in practice, Sam Darnold threw a ball right to Demetrius Flanagan Fowles or whoever it was. Or no, it was Trey Lance that threw a ball right to Demetrius Flanagan Fowles like it was, you know, and there wasn't even a receiver within five yards. It was like you just didn't see him. That was a bad pick. So, I mean, you know, and it's not about who throws it. It's about good and bad interceptions. So I'm not good, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, so Not all interceptions are created equal. And I really think, I'm surprised, you know, as, as – micro as we get in statistical analysis that there hasn't been an all-out separation of quarterback picks wide receiver credited interceptions i'm surprised it hasn't been divvied up yeah or how about this one how about o-line sacks or or coverage sacks yeah you know i mean what happens to you know you know your o-line gives up gives up the sack but what happens when you know the quarterback you know, basically looked down the field and everybody was blanketed. Do we have a stat for coverage sacks? That, that's why, that's why these coaches make their eyes, you know, you know, bleed with a uh, film study because, you know, I lie, you lie, the film doesn't lie. But, you know, here's the other thing I've sat with football coaches, Damon. Um, and, you know, when it gets into the money's on the table, it's like, they'll, they'll fight like tooth and nail over whose fault the pick was, you sure. know? Hey man, that was, or whose fault the breakdown in the coverage was. That catch was, yeah, that was on the safety. No, it wasn't. It was on the linebacker. The linebacker's got to carry him all the way through. No, no, no. He passed him off there. No, there wasn't any communication. That's what you coach. That's what I coach. I've seen coaches literally come to blows over, you know, increments of field and whose fault it was. So it's not always clear. You and I have been, you know, in the center of so many storms and conversations about Trey Lance. Sam Darnold in the room certainly hasn't quieted those conversations, but it hasn't settled those conversations either. And it seems like there is a real competition going on for QB2 on this team. Tell me how you think it works out. Well, I, to me, Trey Lance looks like he's he's outplayed Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has some really great days. Like, if you catch him on the right day, you'd be like, wow, Sam Darnold's the best quarterback they have. Um, <clears throat> then he'll do things that are just like, that's a fifth-year quarterback. I mean, the other day, he had a pass play where he's scrambling, and he, he ran two and a half yards beyond the line of scrimmage and then threw the ball. And, you know, he swore, he swore at himself on the sideline. But, I mean, that's the kind of – you got to – as a fifth-year pro, you got to know where the line of scrimmage is at all times. It's a little bit more difficult in camp because, you know, the, they move the line of scrimmage and it's not always readily apparent. In a game, you, you tend to right. know – holding it down in distance marker all the time on the sideline, which I'm, is an indicator. Yeah, I, I got Yeah, that. there's things that don't – there's, you know, there's little indicators that make it more difficult in camp. Um, but still, that's a rookie kind of mistake. Sam, Sam, sometimes I feel like doesn't see it, and he's a he's a hair late. Lance to me is improved. He's throwing a much better ball. Um, 
he still struggles with the layups. And then I've heard the dumbest thing of all time where people were like, well, isn't it just fine if Trey misses the layups, if he can come back the next play and throw a you know 22-yard out on a rope? And it's like, well, no, it doesn't because you want to, you know, you want to stay ahead of the chains. And, you, you know, if Kyle designs a play on first down for, you know, three yards, it, it, you got to hit the layups. You got to get to second and seven. You can't be there at second and ten. It just it changes what he can call on second on second down. Changes the entire dynamic of the set of downs. So, so it's important that you hit the layups in the NFL. That's Trey's bugaboo. I mean, all three of these guys, Damon, have an issue. Darnold's his turnovers. Can he avoid them? If he can, that will help him. Trey's thing is he's got to be able to make the soft touch pass within five yards of the line of scrimmage and have it be a layup every time. Brock's thing is can he throw with enough arm speed and ball speed to get and and an, you know enough arm strength to get it down the field in the deep third of the field and outside the numbers. And I would say all three guys are showing at times they're conquering their hurdle, but at times they're not. I think the obsession with Trey Lance more than anything else stems from one thing, and that is everybody wants him to fit the definition they've already set out for him. Like those people who are convinced he should be the starting quarterback can't be convinced of anything else and his apparent struggles being the reason why he's not. And those who want him you know, for some reason cut from the roster because he's just that bad and shouldn't even be around and he's muddling and taking snaps away from it. It's nuts the way people react to the news about this guy all the time. He will not be cut. He should not be cut. But as you were saying, you know, if the right trade comes along, it's absolutely imperative to listen to that opportunity. Well, did you see Florio on the Eisen show the other day? I, I well, only it's kind of why I'm asking the question. Yes, I did. And Mike I mean, Florio is one of those guys who has made up his mind that Trey Lance is bad for the 49ers. And it doesn't seem that any relevant or new information is going into his thought process. He's made up his mind. Lance bad must leave. <laughs> and he hasn't been to camp for even one minute. Right. And yet he he sat in his about the book you haven't read. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's amazing how, you know. And I I tweeted about this and I just talked about this guy's arrogance. I mean it's like it's one thing to say, hey, you know, in my opinion, Trey. But no, he's like talking to Rich Eisen on a national platform, convinced the Niners. You know, the Niners made a horrible mistake, and it's you know it's a fact. And now their only recourse is to move on. And people that don't see it the way he sees it. We're just not as informed as him, as according to according to him. But I look at this, Damon, as you know, that's I would say, you know, it's like somebody who's got a really strong opinion on a topic, and then you can tell that they're not current. And then you're like, hey, bro, get current. You know, because what's currently going on is that Trey's improved dramatically in year two. Uh, the players respond to him. Um, you know, it's it's he's very much a better prospect than he was. But it's like it's not going to be official until he does it on television in a preseason game. But it's coming, and that's coming start starting on Sunday. And I think everybody in the country is going to see in the next three games that that Trey Lance may not be right arrived as a prospect, like ready to take the league by storm, but he is a valuable asset. 
and this idea that the Niners just have to take whatever they can get and move on. Why? Why? Their starting quarterback makes $840,000. That enables them to have more time to allow their intriguing yet raw quarterback to have more time to develop. And But what's going to happen, I think, is he's going to play well in the preseason, Trey is, and then the offers are going to get better. And then the question is, are the Niners going to rebuff those offers and say, no, 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 we want to keep this guy? Or are they going to take one of those offers and say, thank you, um, we'll get down the road. Trey, good luck to you in Atlanta. Good luck to you in Las Vegas. Good luck to you in Washington. Good luck to you in Houston, wherever, whoever's going to take a shot. Um, you know, that's that to me is really the question. And we don't know the answer to that. Well, um, there are three voices in the room. It's Trey's voice proving that he is, you know, an asset worth acquiring for another team. And his voice is obviously his play is what I mean. Then it's literally going to be the voice of the general manager that puts the trade in front of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan saying, would this be enough to get you to come off of your Trey Lance investment? But I think the third voice in the room is either Darnold or Brandon Allen really making the 49ers comfortable moving on from Trey Lance because they feel if something happens to Brock, we got a guy that we can trust. So there, there's so many moving parts in any Trey Lance decision. And what people don't understand, I think, across the board, and maybe this even includes Mike Florio, not just, you know, people trying to cover this team, pretending because they have a YouTube channel, they're in the media now. Um, the, the fact that this whole thing doesn't fit together right now, doesn't mean it won't fit together a little bit later. And the decision does not have to be made today. It doesn't have to fit any timeline other than the 49ers. And those three draft picks are a sunk cost. Like, forget about them. Don't ever think about them again. Don't bring it up. And it shouldn't even be factored into any 49er decision. You can't hold on to a bad player because you spent so much of draft capital to to pick him up. It's it's crazy the way people go about thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're talking about different issues. You know, it's like, they did they pay a lot to get him? Yeah. I mean, Florio's like, 49er fans don't like to admit when they're wrong. Well, how about, I mean, you're judging this awfully soon. It's like you're going to speak with total conviction that a guy can't play after four starts? I mean, do you have that same conviction about about um, Zach Wilson in New York? Because I, I saw Zach Wilson improving. And I think he's – and I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp that believes that Zach Wilson's going to be good. So um, it's just we're in this instant gratification world. Everybody wants to be the first to say it. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, he, guys like Florio are like, well, the people in the know have told me that Trey can't do it. Well, guess what? I'm out at practice. I got a pretty, tra- pretty good trained eye and I would beg to differ. I think he can do it. It's just a matter. Of, and I'll, I'll give you what get, a perfect example of why I'm so confident in Trey Lance. It's about not how it's everybody's going to fail. It's about how you react to the failure. And it's about do what do you do? Have the do you check all the boxes? Physically, he's got it. Mentally, he's got it. Desire to get better, he's got it. He missed Debo the other day on a sideline route, and it was a layup. And Debo didn't get his head turned in time. Trey threw it ahead of time, or maybe I don't. Anyway, it sailed on Debo, 
and Debo reached up, didn't have a chance at it. The practice ends, all the fans run off, all the media runs into the media room. I decided to stick around because I saw Trey kind of pointing around, and I figured, well, maybe he wants to do something. Let's see what he's going to do. Sure enough, he lined a receiver up, same formation, same side, same play, ran it six times, and kept throwing that same pass. That's the student that wants to get better. You know, I'm not just going to take my my C minus on the test. I'm going to go take the mistakes that I made. I'm going to correct them and I'm going to conquer it and then move on. And I asked him about it and I put out a little video on it um, and you can see it on, on my channel and you can see it on, on Instagram and TikTok and all the different places that I'm, I'm dropping these little videos. And it was just me, one question, one answer. It's like, hey, is this you wanting, to, is this your mindset? Hey, you want to conquer everything before you move on? He said, exactly. This is what I want to do. I want to get better. So to me, that tells me everything I need to know. Um, he's going to get there. It may not be before by, you know, September 10th for the Steelers at Heinz Field. In fact, I'm pretty convinced it won't be. But it, it, it doesn't mean it's not coming. I really believe it is coming. I mean, Alex Smith was an eight-year vet when Jim Harbaugh arrived. Steve Young was a washout USFL, um, you know, question mark at age 30. At age 31, he was a 49er um, and, and started to fulfill his potential. And I can come up with 20 other guys um, that, that fit that exact same description. He's got, this guy's 23, and he, didn't, he played one year of college ball um, and the pandemic and all these excuses. And it's like they, they come across like excuses, but in reality, it's just an explanation of why said prospect is raw and needs a little bit more time than the average NFL player or NFL quarterback prospect. So give him the time. We've already seen the improvement from last year to this year. If he continues to improve at this rate, I would say by midseason or next season, he'll be in a spot to not just be a good quarterback or even a very good quarterback. He might be a great NFL quarterback. He's just not there quite yet. But it's coming. It is coming. Well, and it makes a lot of sense when you look at the fact he had so little actual on-field football you know, baked into his cake due to a, a number of different things, COVID, pandemic, where he came from. There's just the, the, the injury. I mean, to say the, his the career, level of play. Yeah, his career got off to a, a really rocky start, and he, in order to be a factor early in his career, needed a super smooth start, and, and he didn't get it. Um, our friend John Middlecoff was tweeting and, and brought up just something I thought was kind of interesting. He said, you know, have two quarterbacks ever been taken in the top three, yet neither was the starter heading into year three? It feels like the Wilson-Lance backup status is kind of unprecedented. And, you know, at least Wilson can say, well, I got beat out by a guy who's going, you know, to the Hall of Fame on his first ballot the minute he he, he retires in Aaron Rodgers. Do you think that there's any level of uh, that shame's the wrong word, but do you think that that Trey Lance has a level of embarrassment that he he cannot beat out a guy who was Mr. Irrelevant? I don't think it's embarrassment because I think he has full acknowledgement that unlike some of the people in the media who seem to still think that Brock Purdy is like, lucky. you know, lucky, yeah, lucky, or it's just, you know, he, it was a fortunate run he had. I mean, it's not Jeremy Lin. All right. He's not Jeremy Lin. <laughs> you know, you're not going to look up and be like, oh, you know what? Brock Purdy's now Nick Mullins. No, 
no, and no. He's real. And to football players who know the sport, he sees that what Brock does is real. Everything about Brock is real, from his leadership to his accuracy to his escapability to his processing, um, you know, his, his toughness. I mean, it's all real. So he sees that Brock's real. And there's great – I think that there's respect in the room. They're all young guys with with mountains to – to uh, climb still, and they're not, none of them are developed, but Brock is more developed because Brock played. Brock played a bunch of college games. Sam is developed, but Sam was, you know, got a lot of bad habits and is maybe mentally a little off because of all the failure that he's endured. And Trey's really, really new. So I think Trey, if, if, if uh, Brock were not advanced, in several areas, maybe tr- that would be tough for Trey. But I think Trey sees that Brock is very advanced. By the way, uh, people are very, very excited to see us back together. Got a lot of Krug happening along the chat. Got a lot of Larry's happening in the chat. A lot of, hey, Larry. <laughs> and there is a, a, a little compliment. No tan lines. So you've obviously been taking good care of yourself down in Santa Clara, standing underneath that shadeless, um, the, the hot field that they got down there. So so good good job. Way to take care of yourself, Larry. You know, it's funny. I, I've been going heavy lotion. You know, you got to go heavy lotion on the forehead get, before every practice. This last practice was getting smoky hot, right? And I always carry a hat, and I, I want to carry a white hat. And my, I've got two white hats. I've got three white hats. I've got a 49er white hat, which – I tried to explain to my kids, He's like, Dad, how come you're at Niner camp? Why don't you wear the Niner hat? I'm like, because I'm, you know, technically in the media. and right. I just Because you look like a total slapdick if you do that. <laughs> yeah, you can't wear the Niner hat. Even though it's like Niner white emblem and a white, even though it's like you can't really see that it says Niners unless you're right on it. Still, I would know. Then I've got a Cal Poly hat, but it's, um, it's not worn in enough. And then my son did an internship at Texas, uh, at, uh, in Texas uh, last summer. Uh, in Austin at, um, at uh, you know. Now you're just sucking up to Shanahan. <laughs> Novo, yeah, Novo Construction, and he got me a white Longhorns hat, right? Okay. So I've normally been carrying the white Longhorns hat, but because I know Shanahan went to Texas, I don't like to wear it too much because then I don't want people to think I'm sucking up to Shanahan, right? So it was too hot the other day at practice, and I put it on. I'm like, I'm going to put it on. And I could tell people are shooting me some glances, like Dang he's got on. the Longhorn hat on. And then I've got some seeds in my mouth, so people are looking at me like I'm dipping. Now I look like, you know, some redneck from, uh, you know, New Braunfels, Texas. <laughs> anyway, the O-line drill ends right in front of me, and Colton McKivitz is getting some water, and, he's, and he looks over to me, and he's like, Krug, Texas? Texas? You know, he went to West Virginia. Sure. And I, I think all the Big 12 teams hate Texas. That's what they have in common. And he's like, Texas, Krug? And I'm like, hey, man, it's a white hat. And he's like, starts shaking his head like, you know, how dare you wear the Texas hat? I got the answer for you. If anyone asks you, Larry, why are you wearing the white hat? You just turn around and you tell them, because I'm the good guy. (laughs) There you go. I'm the good guy. I'm not the bad guy. Good guys wear the white hat in the movies. There you go. Um, I, I saw the question that you asked, and I saw the, the the YouTube short that you put out, and this is actually something that Kyle has told me on a radio show that I used to host, that he places more value 
in joint practices than he does in any preseason game because in a joint practice, you can control who's out there. You can really work through scenarios. It's not just down and distance football. You can really start training and grinding specific areas where you believe you need improvement. And obviously, there's joint practices scheduled Thursday, Friday between the 49ers and Raiders. What do you think Kyle's priority is going to be in those joint practices? I think that's where Purdy gets his reps in Nevada. We'll probably not even see him at Allegiant Stadium. Is he going to get number one starter, doesn't play first preseason game treatment, or yeah. is he going to hit the field at Allegiant? No, Kyle basically said that he doesn't expect that, that Purdy's going to play Sunday, but he will play fr- Thursday and Friday. Yes, he will. Uh, in practice. Kyle cares about. Yeah, and, and Kyle said, hey, look, you know, in a game, you don't know. It could be uh, you got to go game situations, and game situations take precedent over what you want to work on. In, this, in, in joint practices, you know, um, McDaniels can make a list, Kyle can make a list, and they can practice for a couple hours and both – check off all the things, their to-do list. We need this many plays on third and eight. We need this many plays in this formation. I need this quarterback um, looking at this particular front. You know, whatever it is, he all the different things he wants to, you know, I want to do some bootleg. I want to do some goal line. I want whatever it is where you may never, you may have four touchdowns that were all connected from the 40-yard line and you never get inside the red zone or you never get inside the goal line and you can't use those plays and then, you don't get to work on what you want to work on or see what you want to see. So, um, so yeah, he made that perfectly clear that he prefers the joint practices to the games because of that. They get more work done. And he's, and I said, what's the downside? And he's like, the downside is these teams brawl all the time. You know, if, if there's a, if, if, you know, we're going to talk to our guys, uh, McDaniels is going to talk to his guys. Hopefully we can strike a, 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 a you know, a tone of, we're all going hard, going fast, but being, you know, respectful. But right. don't uh, waste time. That's the thing. These, these, the, the, it's don't get guys hurt in fights. Offended by the fight, they're offended by the waste of time it takes to break up the fight. Yeah, and they don't want guys punching at helmets and breaking right. hands. And I mean, um, and and fights are, you know, the, just because these guys are on the football field, a fight is no different on the football field than it is in the street. I mean, it's it's a mayhem situation. Guys can get hurt. Guys can get hurt seriously. Um, somebody could fall in. Nobody's, you know, nobody. Somebody could fall into your knee. All of a sudden, somebody's got an ACL. I mean, God forbid you lose an IUK or a Debo or somebody significant in a brawl, but it could happen. Um, I'm glad you said IUK because if there's one thing that seems to be the only thing that everyone in the media can agree upon that's been down at training camp is that Brandon IUK has basically been the bell of the ball. In almost every single practice and session, he is having a great training camp. Yeah, I mean, Ayuk and Debo. I mean, really, it's a it's the, the thing about the Niners that makes them so intriguing is that Ayuk, McCaffrey, and Debo, all three of those weapons look like they're primed for career years. And Ayuk is just there is his radius is like a block wide. I mean, uh, you throw him the ball in the air. He's got 40-inch vert. He'll go up and get it. You throw him the ball, you know, and it's down towards the ground, he'll get it. You throw him the ball and he's got to run, break off his route and hit a different angle, he's going He's going to go get it for you every single time. He's acting like every ball in the air is, his, you know, is life and death. And then Debo's lean and McCaffrey is, is looking, you know, McCaffrey looked great last year, but now he knows the full – 
uh, full breakdown of the playbook, and he knows everything like the back of his hand. Now he's just playing naturally. He looks great. The the other two guys that are just on a different level right now, and people will see it this weekend, is J.P. Mason and Ty Davis-Price. I mean, unbelievably, the Niners have um, – Elijah Mitchell's got an abductor injury, and so he's probably not going to go this weekend. Um, but they've got two 230-pound backs that look awesome. I mean, these guys are 230, fast. They can get outside. They can cut inside. They've both had highlight runs. I mean, the Niners, this is the greatest offensive backfield I can remember the 49ers maybe ever having. They had Roger Craig and Wendell Tyler. They had Bar Nunn and Ricky Waters. I mean, they've had some Frank Gore and, and Terry Kirby. I mean, they've had some some good combos. But they've got CMC, Elijah Mitchell, J.P. Mason, Husechek, and Ty Davis-Price, and all these guys look monster right now. It feels like we haven't heard an awful lot about George Kittle. Is is he just having an under-the-radar camp? Is he underperformed? Is he taking fewer reps and snaps because he, he doesn't need them? What's the deal? I haven't heard much out of him. Uh, no, he's, he looks great. He looks great. He's, you know... Um, he, you know, he's out there hustling and working hard. And, um, I saw him yesterday, you know, doing a drill where he was basically, you know, um, using the tight end coach as kind of like the defender and just running real, you know, quick breaks and getting the ball out of, out of the quarterback's hands and throw me the ball while somebody else is right there. And I've got to catch it in a crowd kind of a thing. He's kind of mocking up that, that drill with his coach. No, he's working hard. Um, the other tight ends, you know, the other story I think with the tight ends though, is that Braden Willis looks better than Cameron Latou. Latou was the third round pick. Willis is the seventh round pick. Willis is running through the middle of the field. Like, like he owns it. He's, he's not, he's not tiptoeing. He's courageous. He makes plays. He doesn't go down when he catches it. He's catching the ball naturally. Um, Latou is dropping the ball. And, you know, we talked to him yesterday after a practice where he dropped two in a row. And he's like, I got to catch it. There's no excuses. I got to get on the jugs gun. My head's spinning with all kinds of new information. But, um, you know, he, he's he's a guy to watch. That that Those two rookies are guys to watch because if they both play well, Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly could be, you know, you know goodbye to those guys. But um, Latou could get cut as a third-round pick. If he doesn't get it going, um, the best thing about this training camp so far is no, no nicks, no dings, no injuries to speak of. I mean, I haven't heard a single guy getting carted off a field or limping off. It just it hasn't happened. And if it has, they've, they've kind of hit it uh, from, from anyone really noticing it. And that to me means training camp is going spectacularly well for the 49ers who have had just weird chomps from the injury bug and almost every single year Shanahan's been a head coach. So to me, the most important thing that can happen at training camp isn't the drop, isn't the incomplete. It's everyone walk off the field healthy. And it seems like that's happening over and over again. Is there anything that is different about, you know, a, a, a much criticized training staff, which, you know, people were trying to say that soft tissue injuries were a result of maybe the way these guys trained in the off season is the team all around noticeably stepping into this year in better shape. Uh, just knock on wood. Good luck. Is that what's going on here, Larry? Well, I, I will say this. I do think the team's in very good shape collectively. Maybe the only guy that I think looks out of shape at all is the right tackle veteran um, prior Matt Pryor 
who looked really out of shape in minicamp and only slightly less out of shape right now. Other than that, I think the team's pretty well conditioned. The only injury um, that has been alarming at all was a couple days ago, Drake Jackson looked like he grabbed at his hamstring and then did not practice yesterday. I don't think Drake is going to go Sunday. I would be surprised if he's on the field Sunday and in Vegas for these practices. He's a key guy. Uh, Jalen Moore had a knee bruise. He went down, but he's back. Um, Darrell Luter Jr., the vet, the rookie corner, has got a knee bruise. He's on the pup list and, and hasn't come back. And then Elijah Mitchell is you know has an abductor. And even though I've just talked about all the depth at running back, they brought in Jeremy McNichols yesterday and cut Ronald Awat, adding more backs to their running back room, maybe telling us that that abductor from Mitchell is going to be you know a week or two or maybe longer. Those it's kind of like a groin area deal, and it could linger. But yeah, overall they've been relatively healthy. Is it it camp legs? I mean, we all know about camp arms. Maybe it's camp legs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'll say this too. I mean, uh, um, you know, it's these physical practices in Vegas are going to be head knockers. So, you know, I'm not saying that anybody's trying to sit out. But uh, oh, the other one was Jawan Jennings has a little bit of a hammy that was tight on him the other day, and he was getting it stretched out. Now we'll see if his status for this weekend. But in reality. There's th- there's a couple spots you really that are really really competitive. It's who's going to be the third offensive tackle. They don't really have a guy right now. It could be Jalen Moore. Could be Matt Pryor. Jalen Moore is the clubhouse leader right now. He is, but I mean, I think there's. I think you know. I was talking to some people who are tight with the organization who think that the the swing tackle uh, may come from outside the organization and not necessarily from guys we see on the field. And I kind of agree with that. Then the DN depth is a little bit of a question for sure. Uh, that's something to be to be monitored. Um, so those are the those are the the two areas: the offensive tackle and defensive ends. Um, that's a concern. Other than that, I think it's a it's you know I mean Jake Moody kicked two sixty yard field goals yesterday, and both of them would have been good from like sixty seven. I mean it was it was crazy how good a leg he has. So they've added him. I mean it's. They've got it's a pretty good roster with some great depth all the way through, but offensive tackle and defensive end depth is going to be a work in progress. I haven't heard a lot about Jair Brown, the safety out of Penn State, their first pick, third rounder, um, because they didn't have a first or second. Uh, how's he looked, and is you know is 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 mums the since we haven't heard much about him? Does that mean he's having a, a good camp, or is he not standing out? Oh no, he stands out, man. He stands out. It's it, you know, for safeties who, you know, in the run game, you've been to camp, Damon, when the running back pops into the hole and the safety fills the fills the alley, comes running up, he doesn't hit the running back. He just either tags him right. or just kind of runs by him and they let the coaches figure it out on film. You don't detonate on your running backs, right? So um, he, he's been really good against the run. He had an interception of Sam Darnold on a pass to Ray Ray McLeod down the sideline, uh, in the last practice. Um, we, we had Charvarius Mooney Ward on, who's one of the most honest guys. I know you've talked to him on your sh- radio show in the past, but Mooney Ward is, you know, I, I said, Hey, give me your thoughts on Jair Brown. And he's like, man, he goes. He doesn't. He doesn't look. He doesn't uh, stand out in in uh, on the practice field. But once these games start, he's going to be smacking people. And so the the players really have a good feeling about him. And Jair's 
Jair's got this veteran-like confidence, um, you know, and I mentioned that to him. I said, hey, Mooney says you're going to be smacking guys, and he started laughing. But he, he, um, he's got this veteran-like confidence and belief. Now, Tayshawn uh, Gibson will be the starter at strong safety, and I don't know exactly how much Jair will play early, but there's been no, nobody's disappointed in that kid. He is he looks fantastic. I mean, he, um, Mooney said, "Man, this guy's a grown man out there," uh, and and there's he just looks like he, a lot of rookies look kind of unsure of themselves, and they sound kind of unsure of themselves. He looks confident and sounds confident. So, uh, and and was a very productive player at at uh, Penn State. So I I can't wait to see him. I th- I think people I think Mooney's right when the when the hitting's live, you're going to see this guy fill the hole and blow some people up. No, I certainly saw it. At Penn State, he's got it in him. He's a dog. There is no doubt. Larry, is there a player that hasn't, you know, doesn't really ping with fans? Maybe an an obscure name, someone who, uh, you know, hasn't had a single inch of a column written about him, but might be a surprise, might make this team. It feels like this is going to be a real tough game day roster for anyone to crack. We could almost name the entire roster right now, just off the top of our heads. Is there a surprise? Is there a camp standout? Who is the one guy that you've noticed that you think, huh, he might be a 49er when we get to cutdown day? Well, you always go to the undrafted free agent list, right? Because there's seven rounds of the draft. And there are people that say, hey, nothing after the first round matters. And then you'll say, oh, yeah, well, that guy was just a day three pick. Well, the 49ers hit on their day three picks, and then they hit on guys after the draft. I'm going to give you a handful of guys that that are really, really players that nobody talks about. Ronnie Bell, the Michigan seventh-round wide receiver, has great hands, runs terrific routes. Um, He knows how to play football, and he's very trustworthy. He makes some amazing catches. Tay Martin, where's number 86, uh, second-year receiver at Oklahoma State. He looks great. He's got a huge catch radius, great ball skills. Knows how to play. Expect Tay Martin to look good in the preseason. So those two receivers for sure stand out. And then we'll flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, and I got two names for you. One is Jalen Graham, the Purdue linebacker. He no. is absolutely fantastic. He looks he he's he 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 runs the drills as fast as anybody. He looks like he belongs. Um, he can play all three inside spots. They're they're he's been wearing the green dot and playing some middle backer which is rare because they usually don't trust a seventh-round pick with that communication um, spot. But Jalen Graham was well-coached at Purdue. He looks terrific. And then the third guy, or the uh, second defender, is uh, Deshaun Jameson. Deshaun Jameson out of Texas is a dynamic return guy. And and I, I keep telling people that, but, you know, nobody has seen anybody return the football, right? Because in, in, the, in the practices – the returners just practice catching it. They don't really practice. They they may practice running up field a few few yards, but, right, but that's not live impact football. Deshaun Jameson is a star return man, and nobody I, knows I, it I yet, Damon. A long time. I mean, Ted Ginn Jr. Maybe the last they could they could actually say fit that bill. I mean, Ray Ray's good. There's sure. no doubt. But I mean, Deshaun Jameson. I'm not saying Deion Sanders, but he if you. If you YouTube Deshaun Jameson and look at his Texas highlight reel, you're going to see him from some plays playing the corner. 
But then a lot of his highlights are in these awesome dynamic returns. And I don't think anybody has, even the people who cover this football team, have taken the time to just look him up on YouTube and look at his returns from Texas. He is an awesome return guy, and nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. Nobody's asking anybody about it. Nobody's mentioning how dynamic he is because he hasn't done it. And in the NFL, there's just a lot of people who cover the NFL, who watch the NFL, that don't watch or cover college football. They don't take the time. And they know, like, everybody knows Deshaun Jameson's a player uh, on his cornerback play because he's played great as a corner in this camp. But nobody knows, except for you now and me and the people on this stream, Deshaun Jameson is a star return guy, and nobody knows it yet. So that's the story that's going to come out of the preseason. Once you see this guy get some returns, you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, that guy is a hell of a return man. And he's played incredible at corner. He's, he's always around the ball. He played five years at Texas. He's 5'9", 185, but he runs in the 4'4". He plays super fast. Um, Ayuk singled him out the other day. It's like, hey, man, 22 is looking good. And uh, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, and, maybe all maybe once bitten, twice shy by the promise of Dante Pettis as an elite return man. And he was in college, but it never quite panned out. Right. Maybe that's what people are holding against them. Yeah, that could, that could be it. That could be it. Um, but he's he's awesome. He's and it's funny because it's like he's going to do this in the in the preseason at one time. And then it's going to be like Deshaun Jameson. He's also a great return man. And that story's coming, and nobody's written it yet. And um, wait till you see it. It's going to be it's breathtaking. Um, you know, while you've been covering the NFL and been doing an incredible job down at training camp, we've seen the entire world of college football spin around like a top. And obviously, you know, as someone who grew up in the West Coast, the Pac-12, you know, meant an awful lot to you if you were a football fan. It's just you, you, you couldn't ignore it. And now it is very much, you know, going, going, gone. Larry, I don't know if anyone's even asked you about your thoughts of college football, the dissolving of the Pac-12. Um, wh what do you think? Where did it all go wrong? And 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 what might be salvaged of of Cal and Stanford? Um, it, when we, look at it this way: if we ever talked about the game of musical chairs. No one would have assumed Cal and Stanford would both be among those left behind when the music stops. I kind of look at it the same way I look at, uh, you know, radio's decline and YouTube's explosion. There's people that, you know, were first on it and there's people that are going to be slow to it. And the people that wait the longest are going to be the people that are hurt the worst. Um, and that's how I see the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 could have partnered with ESPN and sold some of their stuff to ESPN three, four years ago. They opted not to. Uh, they could have taken on Baylor and a couple other teams from the Big 12 four or five years ago and become a super conference. They decided not to. Um, they could have. They could have been proactive. Instead, they were like, you know, we don't. We want to be anti. We're we're more reactionary. We don't like. We're anti-change, and we don't want to. We're traditionalists. Well, guess what? There's no room in today's college football landscape for traditionalists. Uh, there's there's capitalists and then traditionalists. You know, and you, they should have been thinking more aggressively and less about the past and more about the future. 
And that's really the problem. And I heard your your uh, monologue a little bit before coming in. I agree that they should have had like a you know football conferences and then and then stay in your in your actual geographical conferences. I mean, some of these things are going to make no sense. It's going to make no sense for UCLA and USC to fly across country. Are, are, and then it's like, are we are they really student athletes? If if you're going to put them on a five hour flight and fly them to the other side of the country to play a game. It's college sports, and it used to have a regional connection. Um, the Pac-12 has gotten left behind, and and I don't know what the future of the Pac-12 is. I blame Larry Scott. I blame uh, George Klyvakov or whatever his name is that uh, you know for being so slow on the draw. Um, they should have been more aggressive. They should have been out recruiting. A they should have been less stuff, you know? less arrogant about these schools don't fit our criterion and this and that. Well, how's your criterion looking now, buddy? You know, you you got a conference that good luck signing a TV contract, you know, for what you can. Th- there's not that much passion for Stanford and California football. I think well, maybe part of the problem is that the Pac-12 offices are here in the Bay Area and, you know, they don't realize that because there's never really been local buzz uh, for Cal and Stanford that, you know, there's that the Pac-12 was losing uh, its its footing in the competition and they should have been more aggressive. They should have been more proactive, um, in gaining new teams. They didn't want to do that. The USC, uh, um, athletic director and president pushed back hard. That's been a major factor. They've been traditionalist and now they've got nothing. Now they've got a conference that's basically dissolved around them. And, um, I don't know where they go from here. I mean, I really don't. Um, I, you know, it's, you almost feel like it's a wrap. But they, they really also blew it when ESPN, you know, wanted to buy into the Pac-12 conference. And they should have they should have partnered with ESPN. And, and get, you know, there's, there's not that many broadcast entities with the kinds of, you know, um, you know, the kind of reach that ESPN has on their platform. And I think that would have changed the Pac-12's uh, image dramatically and, and, uh, and trajectory of their future. Instead, they're like, no. We can't cut that deal. And so they've now gotten left and they're, they've gotten left behind. And I don't know that they can undo it. I really don't like this, though. And I don't think I love college football, but I, I don't. I, there's so much about college football I don't like. Um, I love I love the tradition. I love the pageantry. I love the student, the student athlete. I love the enthusiasm. Um, I don't love the everybody's jumping around for big dollars. I don't love the endless discussion about who's number one. I, I don't care who's number one, maybe because I went to Sac state and I don't have a dog in the fight, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's people that are super into the college football discussion and they're into it for like this ongoing discussion of who's going to be number one. I could give a damn who's number one. I really don't. I don't care about who's number one. I just want to watch a bunch of good games, and then I want to see some bowl games uh, during the holiday season. Does that make me a bad guy? I mean, I I don't care. I I, I look at it from a scouting perspective, so I'm watching it for players um, and and exciting games. I'm not into the whole discussion about realigning, the money side of it, um, the business side of the Pac-12. I'm just not into it. Are you uh, into the A.J. Pollock era of the San Francisco Giants? <laughs> yeah, I mean, shame on the Giants. I mean, for, I mean, and people, it's amazing how many Giants fans on Twitter 
were pushing back uh, on my tweet the other day with such anger when I basically, you know, real snarky way after the Giants had three hits and one and got shut out. I'm like, yeah, they didn't need a hitter. Uh, you know, Farhan, they didn't. They got an awesome lineup. They rake. And all these people are like, you're what's wrong with Giants Twitter? And it's like, dude, do you, I mean, your general manager talked up. We are going to be incredibly active I mean, at the trade deadline, Farhan Zaidi might be the smartest guy in the world, but he is the world's worst salesperson. That guy should be fired for a day and be forced to go sell washing machines so he could at least understand how to do sales. It's like really, really smart people never, ever find their way to sales, I guess, so they don't ever care about it. But you have to, in sales, a basic tenet of sales is you under-promise and over-deliver. Farhan does not get this concept. He's constantly over-promising and under-delivering and then wondering why people are upset. It's not because you said you were going to be super active at the trade deadline. Your team can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag, and you bring an A.J. Pollock. Either buy or sell. Real simple. You know, you, you know, buy or sell. They did nothing. They didn't either. Well, they, they didn't. Work. They didn't buy anything. They didn't sell anything. They just sat there with their thumbs up their asses. And now they're gonna. They're going to probably wind up missing the playoffs. In a year, they probably should have made the playoffs. I don't know. I, I think they're going to the playoffs. They're leading I don't, the I, 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 I don't believe it. I think I think the Giants are fool's gold, Damon. I think they're going to – they don't score runs. They do not score runs. That When they do have an um, a, a outpouring of runs, it's like a one-day thing. The next day, they can't score again. They don't score enough runs. They, they've been the – they're the lowest OPS team in all of Major League Baseball since the middle of June. Yeah. Now, if there was a week left to play, I'd say you're right. They're going to the playoffs. But there's too much track left, and there's too many good teams left to play. They've got Atlanta coming. They've got better matchups coming right around the corner. I think they're going to struggle to make the playoffs because they don't hit. Here's the They do right. not hit. It's not about the fact they have two starters. It's about the fact that their offense put so much pressure on their pitching staff because they never score any runs. But here's the saving grace. They will get healthier. They've got a very good pitching staff in spite of the fact it's a two-man rotation. They've cobbled enough success together there to make me think that they can maintain it in some sort of way. Um, they're better hitters than what we've seen. My problem is, though... Are is they? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, I just heard the other day that when Mike Yastrzemski gets healthy... He'll take ABs away from Luis Matos. I mean, Mike Yastrzemski has hit under 225 two years in a row and was doing horribly when he went out. I mean, he's got a, an occasional uh, clutch moment, but other than that, his his numbers are, you know, and you're going to so they sent down Schmidt, they sent down Luciano, they they're going to they're going to send down Matos or at least sit him down for Yaz. I, I think they're playing their hand the wrong way. I'd rather see so them go with the youth. So that's what drives me nuts a little bit. It, you didn't come off of any of these guys because they're so important to the mix, yet you take them out of the mix yourself because you lack the faith to keep them up at the major league level and get any better, which means they're really not even the, – the top prospects that you say you have that you refuse to trade aren't even your own top prospects in your own eyes if you're willing to send them on back to Sacramento after a rough month. And look, Casey Schmidt, he did have a rough longer than a month. It, the wheels fell off his offense for sure. but He needs a reset. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But to, to me, adding A.J. Pollock is just indefensible 
because you have acquired instantly the player that fits the bill of worst hitter on your team. There's no minor leaguer that you just sent back. There's no prospect that was struggling whose at-bats weren't better than what A.J. Pollock is doing. I, I just don't get it. And then to see him hitting third in the well, now he's And now he's hurt. And he's been hurt. And by the way, his, what he does well is hit lefties. And have you checked his numbers against lefties? He's hitting 114 against lefties. He's a 35-year-old broken-down outfielder that's going to clog roster spots. How about this? How about call up Elliot Ramos? How about that? How about Elliot Ramos, who's raking in the minor leagues? Nah. Let's, let's clog uh, the major leagues with 35-year-old broken-down guys. I mean, it, it's just... it's I. Whatever. The I'm, next time I, it, you know, there's base will be the first. He has not been to first base. AJ Pollock has yet to reach first base in the San <laughs> Francisco Giants uniform by hit or walk. He was on the DL when they when they got him. He's 35. He's been hurt a ton. I mean, it's just like it's just like, you know, he had a I, really good year eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I don't know what to say about the Giants they should have leaned into their youth movement and just, but I don't, they, for some reason they don't want to call up Elliot Ramos. And then the people are like, well, what prospects you want to trade all of our prospects away. I'm not saying trade your prospects away. I'm saying do get off your ass and do something. Okay. Do something either move off of Alex Wood and Alex Cobb for younger prospects and, and, and sell and, and build towards 2024 20, uh, by getting something or add to what you got, but don't just sit there and do nothing and expect everything's going to be great. You've got a tougher schedule down the stretch. They don't hit. They've. They, it's amazing that they've done what they've done to this point. They've. They. They are a house of cards ready to fall. Uh, and unless they get some massive contribution from somebody out of the minor leagues, there's not going to be any way for the Giants to save themselves because. They're, there's too much track left. It's only August the August the ninth. You got the rest of August and all of September. You've got almost two full months of baseball. If you had two and a half weeks, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? You're almost home. Don't worry about it. You have almost two months of baseball, and you're not hitting at all. So I, you know, I I, I think that right now they're in playoff position, and the league's pretty weak, so they probably get in. But it's going to be close, man. They're not going to get it. It's not going to be like they're rampaging. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, I just want I just either wanted to see them sell and get and build some more towards 2024 um, or buy and, and you know, make themselves a better chance to actually do something this year. But I think Farhan kind of told us that he doesn't really believe that he's that his team can do anything in the playoffs. Otherwise, I think he would have added somebody. Right. Oh, if he can, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he can. Well, and then the people are like, "Oh, well, there's no hitters to add." I mean, then I, I literally came up with a list of like 25 hitters, and they weren't star hitters. Right, Mark Canna. I was saying, why yeah, couldn't you have added Mark exactly. Canna? Mark Canna would have helped this team immeasurably. Uh, Candelario, the uh, infielder who went, um, you know, from was it went to from Washington or where, you know, he he can hit, um, and all the other contenders added pieces to the puzzle and the giants just didn't so it's just like you couldn't make a minor trade you couldn't i mean 
Instead, you have to go for, I mean, and that guy, Matthias, I mean, that's hilarious too. It's Come like on. that guy's a total minor leaguer. And then he comes up in his first game and he, pl- he pops one into center field. And it's like, look at Matthias. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, how do you like your Larry? I like him spicy. It's spicy Larry Kruger here at the very end. Great catching up with you, man. It's been too long. We got to get this home and home on schedule. I know we got a lot of moving parts, but obviously I'm looking forward to football season around the corner. You've been doing an incredible job keeping Niners fans informed with reason on the way up to the season. And we get a preseason game this Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there. And uh, Larry, thank you for being here as always. It's a pleasure, my man. Anytime, man. Appreciate you. I like the video, by the way, from uh, the weekend event. It looked like a little uh, little documentary. It was very nice. So you were missed at, at Plus Mania. Of course, Larry was invited. He couldn't make it. He had something to do with his son that day. He he needs to spend some time with his family, too. He spent so much time down in Santa Clara. So uh, Plus Mania, too, Kruger. We'll see you there. Nice. It looked like a lot of fun. It was, it was a good time, man. Thank you so much. Good talking to you, pal. Take care, man. There he is. The one, the only, Lawrence Kruger here on the Damon Bruce show on the Plus. It's great to have him. It's really that no one does a better job getting you ready for the season that is coming than Larry. He's got great interviews. He's got incredible access. And I think maybe more than anything else, the reason why Larry is such a resource is because he's got the respect of the team that he covers by being there every day. And then just not being, you know, this overreactive, uh, pearl clutching everything I've ever seen in practice is the first time I've ever seen it. So I got to react and dance. And this is reasonable analysis. Who would have thought such a thing was so hard to find in the world, but it is. And that's why Larry's really good at what he does. Um, obviously he has grown his channel. We're trying to grow this channel as well. And it is going to be growing like a mushroom cloud when we get to football season cannot wait we're officially going to be relaunching this whole bad boy when we get to september so look out for all of that um we had a few other things here to get to today most of it can be pushed to tomorrow but since this is um you know a a story that or a, a, a a channel that likes to cover things that have not happened before we actually had something happen in baseball yesterday that had never happened before Every time you see something and you're like, man, that's never happened before. It's usually happened, you know, 10, 20 times in the history of Major League Baseball. Um, obviously, tonight, it's about as sexy as it gets. Giants versus Shohei. That's, you know, Shohei going to strike out at least 10 tonight. It feels like that's always up his sleeve. He'll be looking at the Giants hitters tonight. They'll be looking at Shohei. And who knows? Maybe they'll be looking at each other in the same clubhouse next year. But that's too far away for us to worry about. I saw sports radar report that something officially happened yesterday in baseball that had never happened before. The Kansas city Royals last night became the first team in baseball history home or away to record a three home run, six stolen base game in the 112 year history of Fenway park. Now, that's very specific. It's very odd. No one goes to a game saying, geez, I hope I see a three home run, six stolen base game. It's very random. But again, to find the first of anything in baseball, it better damn well be random. And Fenway Park has been open for so long, you wouldn't think that there was a lot of random left for Fenway. But there you go. History. 
absolute history made last night. And I guess you, you'll remember it forever if you were there. Again, Giants and uh, Angels, Otani on the mound tonight. You got Rangers at the A's this afternoon. And look, Bruce Bochy just sitting in a dugout in the Bay Area is probably more entertaining than the A's have been all season. I saw another story about how the city of Oakland might crack down on hot dog vendors on the platform in between the BART station and, and the Coliseum. Boy, there's a there there's a solution looking for a problem. They're like, well, there's too many hot dog vendors out here. And if there were ever a fire, there could be a first of all, if there were ever a fire at the Coliseum, there there couldn't be any place better for a fire to break out in the East Bay than the Coliseum. There'd be fewer lives and souls in danger there than anyone else. The stampede of people leaving the Coliseum should something go wrong is a tiny, small, single-file line of ants compared to what normally is a large crowd that might be bottlenecking if it were running away from the Coliseum. Again, this is a, a solution looking for a problem. I mean, think about it. If your entire life is selling hot dogs and grilled onions and peppers on a BART platform or a you got enough problems in life. You don't need the city of Oakland coming down on you. Now, someone who said, like, they don't have permits, they don't have health code. Um, and part of me, I guess, would care about that a little bit, but not as much as the part of me that just wants that greasy, delicious hot dog. And I'm willing to throw caution to the wind to get it. Oh, but there could be so many people exiting the Coliseum that all these hot dog vendors could bottleneck. Have any of you been to an A's game this year? But for two nights, there was hardly anyone at any of them. A bottlenecking of trouble. Get out of here. Eh, people are idiots. I saw, this is a Vegas-related story, but not fun Vegas. This is sad Vegas. The story of Henry Ruggs officially gets some conclusion today. Um, certainly not satisfying if you knew the woman or her dog that he killed. Henry Ruggs has a hell of an attorney that I guess did a hell of a job because this drunk driver who killed a woman because he wanted to see how fast he could go as drunk as he was gets three to 10 years in prison for his involvement in a fatal DUI. Three to 10? You should have gotten that just for the dog. He actually took a life. Three to ten? That's, it's, dude, he better get a lot closer to ten. It should be ten to twenty, not three to ten. I mean, that's just gross. That's just gross. The lawyer that represented him did a hell of a job, but this is why we hate lawyers. Speaking of fires, you see what's happening in Hawaii today? That's just, that's terrible. Uh, Lahaina is feared basically gone. There was this fire that has swept through the west side of Maui, places that are steeped in history that can't be rebuilt. Certainly, you know, not by the ancient Hawaiians that did it. 
um, are, are being burned down. This is one of the worst natural disasters to ever hit any of the islands. It's, it's, it's really, really bad in Hawaii. There's stories about people having the fire come upon them so quickly, their only recourse was to run off the docks and jump into the ocean. Very, very scary. So thinking about all of our friends in Hawaii for sure. Uh, speaking of the friends and family that we have built here, we started the show today by telling you our friends at Uncle Boys had had their store broken into. So the next time you're in the mood for a burger, get yourself to Uncle Boys on Balboa and Fourth again. Ikes, we love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Blackened whiskey, thank you very much for everything. But if you could give some extra special attention to Uncle Boys for us. Show them how much the Plus family rallies around uh, someone who needs a little help in our family. Uh, that would be fantastic. Luckily, they weren't taken for much, but as a small business, it doesn't take much to disrupt normalcy. So go ahead and take care of Uncle Boys that's a uh, victim of a break-in by some coward uh, a couple mornings ago, earlier this week. So you go ahead and take care of them. And oh, by the way, just to let you know that no, our love will not fade away Today, August 9th, 1995, is the day that Jerry Garcia died. So you go ahead and you put one in the air from the ganja jar. Listen to a little estimated profit. Listen to a little Grateful Dead today. It'll be good for you. Trust me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you're part of the podcast, which continues to grow, uh, thank you so very much. Thanks to Larry for joining me today. We had Roxy yesterday. Um Good guests are what we want to bring you here. Great access from voices that actually matter, not a whole bunch of breathless yahoos who don't even understand what they're looking at. That's the goal here on The Plus, and I do believe today the goal was met. Thank you very much for tuning in, and please do remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, he's gone.